This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What is God like? In other words, how would you describe God? What are some of the attributes? What are some of the characteristics of God? If you were to uh, create a list and say, God is like this and God is like that, how would you fill that in? Throughout all of human history, every culture in the world has had some idea of what God must be like. Attempting to understand God would normally begin with a naturally observable assumption. So so for some groups, uh, the assumption was that God controlled the weather. So they made images of storm gods who would throw bolts of lightning uh, down. Others recognized that God was powerful, uh, and so they would worship the most powerful thing that could be seen, the sun. That's what you would see in Egypt with Ra worship. Others uh, assumed that God must be everywhere, so they would worship everything, known as pantheism in some of the Stoic philosophical traditions. Others knew or just assumed, well, God is big and God is just unknowable, so they would embrace a form of agnosticism or or they cover their bases and they do what you saw the Greeks doing in, in Acts when they would erect all these different statues for gods they knew and then for everything else they didn't know they had a little statue that said to the unknown God and we do the same thing or we assume that God must be like us so we create him in our own image whatever we think right good or bad we try to ascribe that thought to God. Whatever we're feeling, good or bad, we try to ascribe that feeling to God. And here's the problem. All of these assumptions, if true, only get to a portion, a fraction, a fragment of who God actually is. Does God have control of the weather? Yes, but he controls so much more. Is God powerful? Yes, but far more powerful than the sun. Is God everywhere? Yes, but God transcends space and time. Is God unknowable? This is the biggest question. Is God unknowable? The things we must know about God have actually been revealed to us. God actually wants to be known. So what is God like? How do we know what God is like? In other words, what is true about God? Y'all, this is so important because if you cannot answer that question, then you will fill in the blanks with a God that's just a superpowered version of yourself. And when that happens, that God is not a God that can be trusted. So how do we know? The way we know is we have to find out what the truth, the, the essential truths are about God. Why is that important? Because if we are being remade into the very image of God, that's what it says to be a follower of Jesus, the the idea that the way we were formed, we originally were formed to, to image and reflect who God is. And that image got broken. It got marred by something called sin. 
And so when sin has marred the image of God, there's something that needs to be restored. There's something that needs to be redeemed. So what is it that we're being restored to? That's the truth we need to, to, to ascertain. What is it, what's true about God that, that we are being uh, re- remade into? What exactly does that look like? So in order to do that, in order to know what God is like, we have to agree on what is actually true about him in order to prevent us from reproducing those superpowered versions of ourselves. This leads us to why we're doing this series. We're doing a series on the attributes of God. We're doing a series called God Is, and and we've left it blank because we want to be able to fill in with the right answers, right? The right truth claims about who God actually is, not who we hope him to be, who we prefer him to be, who we assume or fear he might be. We need to know exactly who he is and as he has revealed them to us. So a word about truth then. We're saying we got to know what's true about him. You, you almost need to make sure you have the right eye understanding of truth. We talked about this last week, the danger of subjective truth. Well, my truth says this and this truth says that. Again, personal experiences are one thing. We're not negating that. But there are some objective uh, things about God that are true no matter what the circumstances. Let's find out what those things are. Truth, number one, truth is not discovered. I'm sorry, truth is discovered. It is not invented. Truth is discovered, not invented. That means truth exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. For example, gravity existed a long time before Isaac Newton had his mishap with the apple. Just because people hadn't discovered the truth yet doesn't mean it was any less true. Truth also goes beyond culture. So if something is true, it is true for all people, for all places, at all times. A great example is the universal language that we all know to be math. Now, you may not appreciate that language. I happen to love it. But but the truth of the matter is that wherever you go around the world, math is still the same. The rules of math are still the same. The way that you calculate or the way that you utilize the Pythagorean theorem does not change whether you're in Abu Dhabi, whether you're in Atlanta. Truth itself has nothing to do, in that case, with what culture you're in. How you might use it might change, but the truth itself is still truth. The other thing about truth, truth is unchanging. Truth itself is unchanging. Now, our beliefs about the truth are changing. They may change. For a long time, the majority of of the academic community on this planet believed that the earth was flat until people observed and learned otherwise. Now, the truth about the earth being round was always true, just unknown. People's belief about the truth changed, but the truth itself never changed. So in this series, we're attempting to ascertain what God is like by simply discovering the truths that God has shared about God with us. So when you think about the things we're going to walk through over the next several weeks, we basically are going to be revealing these attributes of God these characteristics of God, things that God has uh, shared about God to us. Attributes, when you think about characteristics or attributes, think about them in these two buckets, right? In certain theological circles, they refer to it as communicable attributes and incommunicable or non-communicable attributes. All that means is things that can be replicated in us versus things that cannot. So something communicable, 
right? Something that's transferable. Uh, there are certain things about who God is that are that are transferred to us. And then there are other things about who God is that cannot be transferred to us. So when you think about things that are incommunicable, think about things that cannot be replicated in us. Things like God's omniscience. He is all-knowing. We'll see that in this series. Uh, his omnipresence. We'll see that. The fact that he is everywhere. Uh, his omnibenevolence, that he is all-loving. We'll see that. We'll see these different aspects that can't possibly be replicated in us. We cannot be all-knowing. Some think they are, but but we cannot be all-knowing. We cannot be omnipresent. We can't be everywhere and at, at the same time. We can't even be omnibenevolent. It's impossible. We love to say, I love everybody. It's impossible to effectively, right, love everyone well. It's, it's impossible to be able to demonstrate love to everyone well. We try and we are. That's why we love our neighbor. It's hard to love everybody at one time, but God can't. Those are non-communicable attributes of God. Then you've got communicable ones, right? These are the things that can be replicated. And these are things into which we are being transformed. We're going to see many of those things come up throughout this series. So if you really want to think about how you break down categories or characteristics of God, think about it this way. The things that cannot be replicated in us, these are things uh, that invoke adoration, they invoke praise, they invoke reverence, because those are things that are far above our pay grade, far above our ability, and we're not even expected to be those things. But those are things into which we place our trust. Then these communicable attributes, these are things, right? They're replicated in us, right? God's uh, honesty, truth-telling, loving people, um, uh, uh, all these things, the, 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 the way that we steward our emotions and anger and all that stuff. Those are things that should be not only things that invoke adoration and praise and reverence, but they're also the target of our transformation. That's the target. Those are the things that we're being transformed into, things into which we are being transformed. So a good way to think about God's attributes when we, when we walk through this series is to suspend, maybe even temporarily, all of our, 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 all of our ideas about these partial ways that we perceive God's attributes. So in their place, we must begin by making a few adjustments. First, we've got to recognize that all of God's attributes are always found in their full perfection. In other words, God, when we talk about mercy, God embodies mercy perfectly. God is the perfect judge. God is the perfect creator. God embodies love with perfection. He alone embodies every attribute in its full perfection. And there is no attribute that finds full perfection in the human experience. There is nothing that we image perfectly as just humans because we are broken and things are not working the way that they should. Second, We've got to stop looking at some of God's attributes in isolation from his other attributes. In other words, be very careful about pitting one attribute of God against another attribute of God. We just by default will look at God and his attributes and we imagine kind of like this great flower with many petals, right? And we see these petals kind of uh, bearing out. God is at the center and his petals are his attributes. And so, so we might think of grace as one petal and love as another petal and holiness as another petal and righteousness as a, another petal and so forth. We've got to kind of get rid of that image 
from our thinking. Because God's attributes are all united in God's very personhood. And, and each is informed fully and completely by the other attributes. And there's one thing that seems to hold them all together. And that's what we're going to start with. And that is the holiness of God. The holiness of God. This could be a really hard word for us to think about and to even apply because it gets used in so many ways now. In many ways, it's been cheapened. We were just talking earlier about how uh, the way we use the word holy has become so trite that we'll throw it around just cavalierly. I remember watching the old Batman series and uh, Robin would be alongside Batman. And whenever something just extraordinary would happen, Robin would, would affix the word holy to some old 60s word. Holy shnikes, Batman. Look at the nose on the clown. And all of a sudden, that word just becomes kind of this, this really easy throwaway word. Like, wow, will you look at that? Wow, that really took me by surprise. Wow, that was something. And so we kind of, in many ways, if that's the way we're thinking about the word holy, we miss the gravity of who God is. We're going to look at 1 Peter, just a small little uh, area of scripture here just to look at this word holy and to figure out why it's important that we see God as holy first. Why is it important that we know God to be holy? What does it even mean to be holy? First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Be, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, sit and, and think on that for a minute. God says, be holy because I am holy. So what does that tell us first? This is communicable. This is something that is recreated in us. This is something that we're expected to live into and be transformed into. So what does it mean then? I mean, he, he breaks down. Remember, First Peter, this is a message to folks who are living amongst uh, uh, both Jews and Gentiles. You've got this group of people with a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ideas about who God might be, a lot of different traditions that have declared who God might be or is or assumptions that they made. A lot of times these assumptions are made in ignorance, which is why he says, don't, uh, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Because in many ways, the ways that you thought, the things you thought were true about God are informing what it is you think you want from him. And so there's got to be something about this word holy that we really grasp. The word holy comes from a Hebrew word, uh, kadash, which means to separate or to set apart or to distinguish. So, so it's a word about not just uh, certain, certain behaviors that should be true. It's a word about God's position and God's relationship to us, his, his connection or his relation to a world that occupies this household of sin. And by sin, we're not just meaning behaviors that are bad or reprehensible. Those are included. But by sin, we simply mean this, heart postures and, and, and ways of looking at the world and looking at people that are not in the same position that God is in. So, so we are prone 
to think in ways that may not or are not the ways that God thinks. So anytime we're out of step with God, we are in sin. God is holy in that he is separate from that. God is holy in that he is removed from the things that are out are, that are not in accordance with his very nature. So we are, have to figure out what parts of my nature are not in accordance with God's. That's another way of saying what parts of our nature are sinful. So don't, don't get it twisted. Don't always just think when you think about sin, you immediately think about behaviors, right? Because ultimately, um, you're, 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 you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. This natural bent is already there before the behavior begins. So we've got to figure out what on a deep heart level needs to be changed or repositioned so that we're in the same position as God. That's what it means to be holy. This is what it means when we talk. So, so it's not, for example, it's not unusual to hear conversations when we talk about God and we talk about certain attributes of God. It's not unusual to hear people's conversations where the love of God is discussed as if it was some kind of vague emotion that, that, that uh, describes God's feeling uh, toward us or, or where it's used as leverage against other attributes of God, like his holiness. Well, I know that in God's holiness, this is a certain thing that he requires of us, but I know my God is loving, so I'm going to go and do this, or I'm going to think this way, or have my heart postured this way anyhow, because he'll understand. We ought not ever be pitting the attributes of God against each other, because ultimately God's holiness, we're going to see this in a minute, God's holiness holds all the other attributes together. Every other attribute you find is a function of God's holiness. Because ultimately, God is separate from the ways in which we are prone to think or act or behave. So, so anything that's out of step, it shows, hey, I'm not, God is separate from us. It's so important we see that. Look, I get it. In, in a lot of ways, God being other than us has been used to, to, to weaponize and take advantage of people. And so there has been a lot of helpful and necessary deconstruction about the ways in which people have toxically used God's holiness as a way to, to marginalize, disenfranchise, and harm people of all kinds of groups. And so I affirm that is work that we need to always be doing. Now, with that being said, that does not mean we erase the distinction between God and people. We ought not erase that because ultimately God is saying where you are, I'm, I want to move you from so that you can be where I am. But if you think that because God loves me and I have a sense of familiarity with him, that, that I can overlook or ignore certain attributes and double down and highly index other attributes, you're not really following God. You're just following yourself and you're inviting God to follow you as well. So, so it's important when we think about God's holiness, don't just think about it as holiness means behaviors I won't do. Holiness means that these are the things, these are the good things I'm going to, or these are the holy things I'm going to make sure I do. Holiness means God is over here. I'm over here. God is trying to bring me where he is. It's a position. It's a term of position. It's a term of uh, heart posture and disposition. It's not just behavior. That's where the abuse has really occurred. You want to be holy? Look like that. You want to be holy? Act like that. You want to be holy? Walk like that. You want to be holy? Talk like that. You want to be holy? Don't talk that way. You want to be holy? Don't walk like that. 
those are those are dangerous. Now, they can be helpful if they're tied to where God's heart is positioned. God's heart is here, and that's why we move in that way. God's heart is here. That's why we walk in that direction. God's heart is here. That's why we don't speak about those things that way, because God's heart is not there. Tying our holiness to the heart of God is how our real transformation occurs. So, it's impossible then for God to love the poor without also acting in judgment against those who oppress them. Because it's natural for people in their sin to want to oppress people, and God is not positioned there. So his holiness requires the justice. His holiness requires the mercy. All these things are integrated within God's holiness. So because of that, God is is not merciful to the oppressed by invoking an emotive feeling about the oppressed. That's included. He cares about them, but rather by overthrowing the oppressor and setting things right. Why do all those things exist? Because God's heart is not there in the oppression of people. God is holy. He's separate from that way of thinking. He's separate from that way of thinking and loving and living and leading. That's not who God is. So God is going anywhere or any behaviors in which you engage that are not connected to where I am positioned, that is sin and I'm crushing it. That's That's God's holiness. Everything falls into God's holiness. Why do we have to do this? Because there's been a whole range of erroneous thinking that has been rampant in the church and it could be swept away if even the most basic understanding of God's attributes would be understood in this way. For example, how many times have you heard someone say in response to a comment about God's judgment or his opposition to sin, well, my God is a God of love. I gotta go there because I definitely believe that. But again, we gotta be really careful. If we're saying it, make sure we're saying it for the right reason. Now, if there's something that somebody's trying to do and it is you can show is not in line with the heart of God, then yes, absolutely. My God is a God of love. And here's what love looks like as revealed by God to us. Great, we can go there. But if there are places where it's like, hey, listen, this here, if there's something that's occurring that's harming a person, another image bearer, causing real injustice to another image bearer, or maybe even just offending the very nature of God because of our own personal decision-making, We can't just hide behind that one attribute of God being loving because ultimately God is holy, which means his love is undergirded by his holiness. He's never going to to counteract or or discredit uh, his own nature. That's why we don't pit attributes against each other. That's why we don't look at, well, the God of the Old Testament, he was holy and angry, but the God of the New Testament is gracious and loving. God has always been all these things, always. You see God's grace and mercy in the Old Testament, and you see God's judgment and burning anger against sin in the New Testament, right? But we have to be careful not to think of it that way. They all exist concurrently. So here's the way I would suggest you imagine. Imagine God's attributes existing like a basket or a grocery cart of of groceries. And and they serve each one of those gross, each one of the things that you put in produce and canned goods and bread and dairy and fruit, whatever it is that you have there. When you put those things in the in that basket, each one of those things are going to have a, a different function based on what the chef wants 
to do or wants to create. So in this basket, there's justice in there. There's grace in there. There's mercy in there. There's anger. There's hatred, yes, in there. Every communicable attribute of God exists there, but they exist, as I've said before, they exist out of, informed by God's holiness. So holiness is the basket. Holiness is the grocery cart. Holiness holds all of the attributes of God together. That's how we think. So everything that God is transforming us into is reflective of God's holiness. Why do we tell the truth and not lie? Because God is not a man that he should lie. So God is not in the position of mankind wherein lying and deceit is even in his nature. He is positioned differently. That's why the commandment tells us, do not lie. Why? Because that's not where God is. Do not kill. Do not murder. This, this idea of going to people and, and, and killing them in this kind of spendthrift way, that is not who God is. Do not cheat do not steal. These are not just behaviors for the sake of behaviors. These aren't just checklist items. These are rooted in God's holiness. So, so when, we, when we think through this, what do we really have to get out of this? What do we have to understand about God's holiness? God's holiness is a, a whole big basket of things. It's almost like when we look at Galatians 5 and we see the fruit of the Spirit. We see patience and long-suffering and these various things about God's nature that he gives to us. <clears throat> you notice that that text in Galatians 5 doesn't use the plural word fruits of the Spirit. It uses one singular word, fruit of the Spirit, because all of the fruit of the Spirit, all of those things exist in one basket of fruit. And all of those things should be present in the people of God. Why? Because God said, as I am, I call you into. Be holy, just as I am holy. We've heard it said very poetically that uh, to, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. And while there's, that's true, to, to a degree that's true, that can be dangerous if we think <clears throat> that humans just err. God is the one who forgives. And so if we want to be more like God, we need to be more forgiving. And then we just shut it down after that. <clears throat> if that's how we think, that that's it, that's we close the door on just that and say, the best way for me to be like God is to just be forgiving. We miss the rest of the attributes of God. God doesn't just say, hey, you're human, but make sure you're forgiving. He says, you're human, but I call you to be holy. It's not untrue to say, what do you want me to do? I'm only human. The issue, though, here is God doesn't leave you as only human. God says you're only human, but I give you no excuse to remain that way because I've called you to be more than human. I've called you to be holy. And the only way that holiness happens is for us, for me, for you to truly ascertain the truth about who God is, be moved and transformed by who he is so that we begin to look exactly like him. We begin to, to, to image God well. We begin to change, to, to be positioned where he is. That's what it means to be holy. So when you, the, 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 the struggle that we may have in transforming is we're like, I need a checklist. Give me the list. Give me a, a bunch of things. Give me a bunch of do's and don'ts so I know what to do and what not to do. Give me some things to say and not to say. And that becomes incredibly tasking because every time we're living, let me check the list. Let me check the list. Let me check the list. 
And God is going, I'm, I'm sparing you of having to always look through the scroll to find out. Uh, if you understand that I'm holy first, you understand that, that the ways that you might, on a default level, react to things, ways in which you might immediately re respond, and the way that you might even understand your world can be tainted by your own nature. Become more acquainted with who I am so that you'll know where I'm positioned. So that when things pop up, you'll, you'll be able to immediately go, you know, that does not align with God's heart here. That's sin. You'll never feel good about continuing in sin when you are, have a heart that is rooted in being positioned where God's is. So everything else we're going to talk about in this series is going to be rooted in a holy God first. A holy God who is wholly separate from us. Yes, he's our father. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he calls us friend. But he is holy before he ever is your homeboy. We've got to be super careful, or homegirl. We've got to be super careful that we don't become so familiar with God that, as we said before, we, become, we start holding God in contempt. It's a dangerous road ahead. As we look at God's holiness, my prayer would be that we would get to a place where we can say, my heart is rooted in being where God is first. In other words, holiness. It's not just a, a, a doctrine to believe in. It's not just a, a, a statement or an academic topic about God. It is fundamental to our relationship with God. It's fundamental to our relationship with the world. Holiness, God's holiness is tied to the very nature of a very missional heart of God. Holiness, along with all of God's other amazing attributes, always informs who he is and all of his dealings with us. Understanding God's holiness will lead us into a deeper relationship with God and one another, and it's going to affect how we live in the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that even in all the ways that we are not like you, all the ways that we are positioned different from you, God, you love us enough to pursue us and to reveal yourself to us. You do not leave us to have to figure out all of these major aspects of who you are. Yes, there are things we don't know. Yes, there are things we can't make sense of. But Lord, you give us enough of yourself, enough uh, attributes for us to find an anchor. So God, I pray that for those of us who are wrestling, who are struggling, who are unsure, who are dealing with things that make us question who you are, God, I, I pray that you would give us enough anchors to hold on to. Anchors about things that are objectively true about you. <clears throat> things that we can hold to and know without a shadow of a doubt. You are there you are God, you are holy, and there are things in your nature that make us have great trust, even as we wait for other things to reveal themselves. God, I pray that any ways in which we have remade you into uh, a false, counterfeit God, Lord, will you crush that? Will you show us the ways in which we have missed you? Show us the ways in which we have uh, completely overlooked your holiness first. And God, we know we can't be holy. We can't be like you on our own. We know that you have come 
to remake us. So God, make us holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's receive the benediction now, this final blessing from a very holy God and all of the things that we bring up out of this passage in Jude. Listen to the things that God does, the things that we trust God to do, things in which we can find an anchor from a very holy God. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.